Good evening, everyone. We'll let, uh, as usual, we'll let, we got to let the people uh, come into the room. I hope everyone had a great day today. We are in for another treat this evening. This is going to be a little different, but that's okay. That is all right. I am going to start with, um, everyone knows Jimmy. Jimmy, how you doing? Thank you for being with us. Good, Rick. Good. And and everyone's going to get to know this young lady more and more. How are you doing? Uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thanks for having us on, Rick. And it will be a little bit different, but it's definitely super connected to farmers and the future of oh. farming. Um, my name is Erin Martin. My background is in gerontology, the study of aging. I started working with older adults at the age of 15. And I really saw people with tons of chronic conditions and really discovered that food is medicine, especially local and regenerative nutrient dense food. And so now I run a program called Fresh RX Food is Medicine here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in our food desert. And we source all local food and I administrate that program as a produce prescription program where a doctor actually prescribes the fruits and vegetables to people with diabetes. So can't wait to share more about that. Yeah, this is going to be good. This is really going to be good. Um, now, I want to um, I want to kick off tonight. I, you know, this is how I always get it going. Uh, giddy up, let's go. Now, I've not talked with any any either of these two folks beforehand. And I'm going to ask Aaron first. Aaron, uh, what's on your mind right now? What is right there? Just you've had it all day, or what's there? Yes, I have something burning. So I'm glad you asked that question. Good. Our biggest challenges is we don't have any shortage of sick people. We have a shortage of local food and infrastructure for local food. And we are very uh, intentional about our integrity of sourcing our medicinal food prescriptions. And we only source local regenerative food. And the challenge is how do we stimulate the farmers so that we can grow this program and a lot of the feedback from the farmers is, is that they need an investment of labor and some infrastructure to be able to expand, to be able to serve more people. And so financially, we've been really looking at how do we make those initial investments and the solutions that we've really come up with lately and have been discussing is actually paying the farmers ahead of time and buying future shares so that they can use that money up front for any labor or other types of costs and needs that they need. And so we've really been discussing on how to navigate that and how to provide that investment initially so that farmers feel like they're prepared and that they can expand over the next year so that when we want to expand and reach more people, we can. Oh, that's, that's fascinating. Um, we're gonna dive deeper into that. Jimmy, what, uh, what's on your mind right now? What, what are you thinking about right now? The most most exciting thing I've ever been a part of, Rick, is what I'm thinking. It's uh, this uh, food for medicine, and and we've known for quite some time, and you and I have talked about this before, that that it matters what we eat, and it matters yeah. how the food's grown uh, that we eat, and uh, to be a part of this and to be uh, helping the farmers uh, there in the program to grow food. Uh, for Dr. Farish to prescribe 
in in being with Aaron and seeing this side of things. It's just the most exciting thing that I've, I've been a part of in quite some time. Well, I'll tell you what I like about this. I like that that Aaron is connecting the farmer to the doctor to the to the consumer. All this is a what I call closed loop, and that's that's a refreshing idea, and I really like that. Um, okay, Aaron, I'm coming back to you now. Now, give us. I, I have to apologize. Garantology, I hope I said that correctly. Give us a little broader definition there. Sure. So gerontology is the study of aging and it is a newer field as a response to the baby boomers turning 65. We have 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 every single day in the United States. And that was in response to World War II. People came home made love with their spouses and of course procreated. And so now we have a lot of these baby boomers aging and we actually have an average in the United States. If you're 65 and older, you're on an average of 15 or more prescription drugs. So we're seeing this compounding of chronic conditions as people age older and older. And so gerontology is a social work based program. It's in a lot of social work schools, but actually the university where I went to in Southern California has the first gerontology school in the world. And it was founded by the founder of AARP. There's tons of different components to it. There's people that go into studying aging in a lab and they extend worms lifespans. And there's stuff where they're preparing for prescription drugs and designing those things. But there's also people who are are trained more generally and how to execute services for older adults. So we're trained in the psychological changes of aging, the physiological changes of aging, and the social and cultural impacts of aging and how to navigate the systems of aging. And it was through working through a lot of systems of aging that I was able to really see the breakdowns and see what the needs desperately were. So, Aaron, are you are you the first class out of this uh, this school from this university, or is there? I mean, are, are you the first grad the one to, one through four no, years? No, it was right? it was founded in the late seventies, so still oh. fairly recent. So there are a lot, and some physicians actually go over to the gerontology school to specialize more in gerontology, but it's not necessarily. So I'm not a doctor but I am an advocate and a master's level gerontologist. There are undergrad, master and PhD programs. So there are, there are smaller cohorts because actually the smaller, smallest school in USC, but it is growing rapidly as, especially in China where the aging population is a little bit ahead of us. We actually have mostly Chinese students. They go back and they really help build assisted livings and get services and things like that. Um, but it was through USC that I really started seeing this as a global issue and how the U.S. stands out specifically and how in ways that a, a very advanced society is failing. And I think that's why regenerative farming gives me a lot of hope. Yeah, this is this is cool. Um, all right. I want to go back to something that was mentioned earlier. You said that food is medicine. I'm also going to throw out something here that food is probably also poison, right? If you're not eating the correct food or the food that's grown the correct way. So let's spin off that way first. Let's go, what's wrong with our food system right now? 
Well, there's a lot of challenges with the food system. Oh my goodness, we could have a whole hour about that. But yes, not, and that is a very important thing to understand. People say food is medicine and there's a lot of missions that just say food is medicine, but right. not all food is medicine. Right. We have over-processed so much different kinds of food and we have stripped it of its nutrients just in the processing. We've stripped it of its nutrients over a hundred years of this style of conventional farming. We've added a lot of toxins to the soil, which is translated to the food. And we are absolutely inundated with a lot of different chemicals and a lot of poisons. And sugar is actually one of the worst uh, poisons is just as addictive as heroin for people. And it's really all people have access to. So even carbs turn to sugar and people are eating sugar and carbs all day long from fast food restaurants or from Dollar General. And that's where people are getting stripped of any vitamins and minerals they actually do get. And even when things are shipped, even if it's grown great, but it's shipped from Mexico or other countries, it's losing nutrients when it's shipped, it's prematurely yeah. picked, it's artificially ripened. So not all food is medicine, local regenerative food is medicine. Yeah, and that's what I'm gonna to come to you now, Jimmy, because this is all tying together now to the producers. So tell us about, I know you and Aaron, um, a lot of times you two will speak together at a, at a conference and then you'll be separated. So. Tell us about the journey here. How did you hear about Aaron? Why are you so excited about this, Jimmy? Well, I heard about Aaron uh, about three, uh, almost four years ago, uh, and was really excited uh, with the work that she was doing with Fresh RX uh, there in Tulsa. And uh, we wanted to be a part of that. And so we asked her to speak at our local state conference of the conservation districts. And uh, once I heard that, I knew that we had partnered together uh, because some of the challenges she was having was one, finding producers and to grow enough food. Uh, and she was having to source in a bigger circle away from Tulsa. And uh, I knew that there were plenty of, of good soils, good producers. Uh, we just had to locate them in. So, uh, we started working together. Uh, I went up, met with her, uh, started meeting producers, uh, started helping new and beginning producers uh, that to navigate the system of the government to get assistance for hoop houses uh, and all that through NRCS. And a, a lot of our growers are uh, in that category of people of color or underserved minorities. And so it's very difficult if they've never been to the local FSA or NRCS government office uh, to navigate that system. Uh, and so I've been assisting in that. Uh, then also, uh, once we kind of got that started, I went up there and went out to the producers and got them familiar with the Haney test. Then Aaron uh, got Lance Gunnerson, uh, owner of Regen Ag Labs, to come down. Uh, yep. went out to some of the producers, got soil test. So it's uh, a really exciting time, Rick, like you said, because this uh, local grown produce that is consumed and uh, with clients, uh, diabetic patients that need that to get the nutrition, 
to be a part of that and, and to be involved with Dr. Farish, and he's going to be on with us here uh, shortly, I hope, uh, that prescribes that food to them patients. And so it is uh, really tying the soil to your health directly, and, and that is the exciting part. We, you and I have talked about this uh, numerous times uh, in conferences, how we know that uh, healthy soils create healthy plants, uh, yeah. healthy plants then consume creates healthy bodies. Yeah. So, okay. So I want to ask a question and come back to this. There's a, there's a pretty big movement right now, guys, on getting your farm certified regenerative. Okay. Liz handing her group is doing that. I think there's other, or there's other folks also doing that. Is this part of your equation? Would you like to see your producers have this certification? Okay. Yes, and some of them, in fact, do already have the certification and have scored fairly high on the test. And they've been able to also test some new areas of their land that they're going to expand to to kind of get a baseline. But the actually all of the producers that have tested so far have passed and have been certified because they already really are executing these principles of regenerative farming and we're trying to help the rest. And that is a stipulation that we have put in a proposed bill in the state of Oklahoma is not only to make sure if we ever get insurance reimbursable for this program that not any provider can come in and just source from Amazon or Walmart. We wanna ensure that the money is staying in Oklahoma and at least in bordering states and stimulating not only the local, but the regional food systems. And not just saying that can that no one can be a part of it unless they're regenerative certified, but at least if they are making an effort to move towards that, yeah. that's what we really like to see. And we'd, we'd like to support and pro, we provide technical assistance and advocacy so people can move towards that. Okay, that was my next question. So you you folks are also have the ability to teach and help that farmer, you know, get down the path to be this regenerative uh, producer and then then possibly take the test. And, you know, this test is coming through Dr. Rick Haney and, and Lance Gunderson. It's Lance's yes. lab. Um, Rick's working for Lance or I don't I don't know the exact it doesn't matter, but I know it's part of the Haney Soil Health Test is incorporated with this. So I think this is really good because Aaron and Jimmy, this is what I've been talking about for a couple of years now. We don't have a definition of what regenerative practices are. Right. And you guys right. are trying to get that kind. I mean, you may maybe you don't want to have the total definition, but we're starting to it's starting to take shape. And that's yeah. what we got to do here. Right. It is. It is, and it's very important that we uh, get that where it's people understand what it really is and how that process works. And that's the reason this soil test that we do really can prove that because you take a zero to four and, and a, uh, or zero to six and six to eight inch then uh, that really shows that you're not disturbing the soil, number one, that, right. you're, that you're doing minimum tillage. You're... It, and it and it shows the biology. It shows a great big picture. Uh, and you know, not everybody passes that the first time. Uh, uh, so you've got well, to apply okay. the principles. Of, yes, yes. And they understand then 
the ones, most everybody that has applied has got in in most of their acreage, but maybe once in a while they have a farm or a small track that didn't pass and they know what they've got to do to, to get that to pass. And so that's the exciting time about it. And we get in that as, as this program grows, it keeps that money in a, in a tight circle that we're building smaller communities back. Uh, we're, we're building a market for them producers uh, for that food uh, through this program. So, you know, it, that's wow. the important side uh, that big ag, so to speak, has taken us out of the picture is a lot of these small communities have dried up uh, and we're trying to revitalize that. All right, I got so many questions here. Uh, all right, there's a question from the audience. Um, is this crop producers you're talking about being certified regen? Now, I think what they're asking here, Jimmy, is um, is this corn and bean folks or is, are these vegetable, is Vegetables. this livestock? Tell us about the, the yeah. producers that are being certified. So all of our farmers, some of them do incorporate livestock and have chickens and other things, but they are mainly vegetable produce producers yeah. and some fruit, um, but not as much, mainly vegetables. So we're really looking at those types of producers because this program was based on a study by the Geisinger Institute, and it's called the Fresh Food Pharmacy. And what they proved is that increasing the intake and consumption of fruits and vegetables along with cooking classes proves to lower someone's a1c level which is the measure of their hemoglobin with diabetes one to two percent in the year so people ask us a lot like do we provide protein and other other forms of food and we predominantly stay with just what the programs have proven works it's not that we're um, excluding any of that. It's just that we're just trying to get them to increase consumption of vegetables and be able to cook them. And so just with the addition, not they don't even have to change really much, but if they have more vegetables, it has this huge impact, not only on their quality of life and everything else with their health metrics, but it has this huge ripple effect in sure. so in healthcare cost savings so it's oh. preventing major major catastrophic health events so we focus on vegetables we also do nuts occasionally and we've done other kind of storage goods like quinoa and flaxseed and things with high omega-3s as well okay so aaron this this my next question here and ed i'll get we have a faithful a follower ed bourgeois on every time and ed's got a question for us i'll get to you in a minute ed all right so aaron how how do i mean packaging? it looks like dr farish is on i'm sorry you might want to get him in he's asking a question <laughs> yeah yeah uh, but anyways go ahead what was your question yeah so we'll get to the doc in just a second here but, All right. but Aaron, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about packaging. I'm thinking about shelf life, storage. You know, it's great <laughs> in in the months the of challenge. May, June, July. Your your farmers markets are thriving. You can get all these products. What are we doing in December and January in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where it's a balmy minus ten degrees out? Well, it actually doesn't get that cold. Well, but okay, all right, but. Yes. I mean, great point. So that was the question. When I initially told the committee that kind of formed this in publicly with the Tulsa, Tulsa Security Council, 
I said, I'm going to source local. I'm going to do it regenerative and I'm going to do it year round. And they said, good luck. How, what are you going to do in the winter months? Yeah. And I said, well, just watch. So I actually consulted a lot of regenerative farmers in the area. And they actually proved that with their style of farming, that they could extend seasons of certain things two to three to four months by the way they were farming. And then they use hoop houses and different things like that. And they are able to farm year round. And then what we do is we also get more goods that are more storage goods sometimes. And we supplement, we did beans and rice, but still locally grown food. So we have actually made it. We're at our 12th month and we had no shortage of food. We provided everyone food every two weeks for an entire 12 months. So we've done it and we're now doubling in size and our farms are pretty comfortable. They're going to be able to double in size next year for us. So it's definitely possible. And good to see you, Dr. Parrish. Welcome on. And Rick, that's the important side of what I've been helping with is the getting the producers able to put hoop houses in, wow. uh, greenhouses uh, is another word where they can grow year round. And, and we're starting to, to talk to bigger producers. One of the questions, you know, is it just small producers? No, we, we want bigger producers as the program grows. And, and, and Dr. Farish will, will share with you, we, we're not lacking in, in patients uh, that we could put in the program. So we know that the need is great for the food. So we're starting to really try to, to get bigger producers to look and trying to get all these small urban producers and small minority uh, producers uh, more up to speed so they can grow more food. Yeah, see what I love about this guys is it's the same old thing we talk about. I mean, we gotta stop putting band-aids on things. We've got to get yes. to the root cause of what's right. wrong. And think about, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a mathematician. I don't have all these numbers in front of me, but I gotta think that if we were to have a healthier diet, that the cost of medicine would drop dramatically. It would yes. have to. Yeah, they actually estimated that if insurance, Medicare, Medicaid, all private insurance actually paid for fruits and vegetables, we would save over a hundred billion dollars in healthcare costs that, that's nationally. Huge. That's huge. And wouldn't you think that the major healthcare providers would be behind this? Absolutely. You, You'd think so. You would think. All right. Well, uh, let me get to Ed's question here. Uh, our, I don't know. I think it was a question. Hang on. I got to find. Here we go. Aaron, have you or have you been able to get regenerative meat considered as food RX? Dr. Stephen Van Vliet, recent research on phytonutrient spectrum density omega 3-6 ratio of regen meat. So I assume it can happen. I mean, maybe Jimmy's a better question for this, but go ahead. Can we do this meet? And does, does Liz and her group have a a score for uh, a livestock? Well, we've been working with uh, uh, Dan Kittricks at the uh, Nutrient uh, Institute, and they've been testing meat. And, and once again, it's it's like the plants. It's it's all about what the animal or it it doesn't have to be just uh, uh, cattle meat or whatever animal. Uh, if you want it regeneratively grown, then you have to have the good, healthy soil and the right. plants that they graze on. Uh, then it becomes 
becomes more nutrient dense. So yes, we're going to get there uh, in that meat side for, for all. Uh, but man, it's a, it's a big uh, challenge getting us all pulled together, but it, animals uh, are just like plants. It is what they consume uh, and just like what we consume that determines your health. So once we get yeah. that uh, understood in producers, then I think it'll be really exciting. But Dr. Farish can really touch on this as well. We're excited to have him with us. Yeah, doctor, are you are you on board with us? Yes, I've heard everything. Hi, hey, how are you doing this evening? Nice to meet you. Well, thank you. I was just out in the garden. <laughs> out in the and garden, doctor, doctor Farish really is the reason why this program was formed, and he what has been super open-minded about my sourcing preferences and now is really understanding why it's so important. And to have a doctor understand that has been great. And I'd love, I'm sure Dr. Farish can share, you know, what he's seen and how it's, that's really impacted things. Yeah. Hey doc, first let's, let's go to this 1% reduction in A1C because this, this is a topic of my interest here. And then, then I want you just to elaborate on what Aaron was just was just talking about. Well, the, it is important that one of the things that we're really contributing is that we're not just a, another uh, food bank, but we're actually providing some measurement of outcomes. And that has to be done in connection with some kind of a clinical situation. So there are patients, they were our patients last year and next year uh, of formed a relationship with another medical colleague who has the same interests in uh, one of the other uh, underserved populations in Tulsa that we don't have direct access to. And she has um, allowed us to be just as equally involved with them. And so it involves the use of our um, electronic health record to do a search for all the patients that we think are at risk and we were able to do that. We started off with a uh, text blast to them, but that was not enough. And there have been other programs in the state of Oklahoma that have attempted to provide healthy foods to people who, whom they've identified. But the way that it was rolled out was um, through a flyer to all the doctors in a given part of the state, saying, uh, if you've got anybody that has these conditions, remember us and refer them to us. And as you might imagine, that's just one of all the many things that um, doctors are being asked to remember yeah. by <laughs> different um, regulatory boards and even patients themselves. And so you can put it out there, but uh, they have not really filled a panel. Plus, we wanted to fill the panel and have a start date and an end date and have everybody in there from day one so we could uh, be measuring their outcomes at the same time. So uh, all that by way of saying, I called each of those patients myself and said, it's Dr. Farish with Crossover Health Services and we've got a way to improve your diabetes care and it doesn't involve any more drugs, doesn't involve any kind of needles. You're not gonna have to stick your finger anymore. And um, all we want to do is just give you some free food. And that was my initial pitch. But then in association with that, we uh, 
we wanted to find to, we wanted to think ahead of time about what was what it was going to be like a year from now when we uh, when the free food ended and so uh, thanks to Aaron and the diet and then the diabetic nurse education person in our office we developed um, online resources and this was in the midst of COVID so our initial plan to have meetings and classes and demonstrations those were just not possible and I thought uh, when will this ever happen but one of our funders provided uh, iPad tablets for everyone to, to and they, was, they were loaded with the videos and um, it, it's working people have responded to that and so we feel like we're not just um, giving a man a fish, we're teaching people to fish mm. and how to take care of their own selves. I also thought it was important for the longevity of the intervention past the one year to be able to find out how happy people were with the program to start with. And then after a year, we have a quality of life survey that Aaron's gonna be uh, asking. Um, a 12 question survey is just your overall satisfaction in life not limited, but including your health and all those kinds of things. So to the measurement on the A1C measurement. So the hemoglobin A1C is reported as a percentage. And so what it is, it's a, it's a percentage of the overall amount of hemoglobin in the red blood cells that are saturated with sugar. And that level is supposed to be about 7% or below of the hemoglobin in your body's red blood cells are supposed to have sugar attached to it. And when you have a high sugar, that level starts to rise and it'll be 8%, 9%. Uh, we stopped measuring at 14% of the cells that have this hemoglobin attached to them. And it gives us a, a way to evaluate long-term control so that a 1% reduction doesn't just mean you're just 1% better because if it started off at a 10 and it goes to a nine, you're 10% better. And so that's a, a, a it needs, just needs to be kept in mind that the percentage is um, a percent of the, the, the glucose in the red blood cells. Yeah. And that, that test right. is, I believe doctor, that test is a, a three months snapshot. Average. Of what yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. a red blood cell lasts three months in the, in the body. And so every three months you have a new crop of red blood cells. And so we want to see what uh, kind of sugar levels they've been exposed to. Well, there's a couple of things I've heard here that exactly parallel what we're trying to do out in the field here. I mean, I heard you talk about, we've got to have to baseline, you know, where your patient is, get the history from that patient because you obviously need to see that if the diet you're gonna prescribe is gonna help that patient or not, right? So you, you're gonna have that information. That's the same thing we do out on the, just like Jimmy does. He, he baselines his farm, he decides if the, the mineral package that he's added is helping or hurting his hurt or whatever the case may be. Right. And um, the other thing that I heard in there was the fact that there's really no way to, to cheat this test because the A1C is going to tell you if if over time this this is working. The same thing with this regenerative test from from Lance's lab. If someone's not following the rules, it's going to get kicked out and they're not going to pass. Same thing. It's an objective measure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
So I I love all this. Now I, I've got a comment from Deanne and Deanne, how you doing this evening? You're another uh, faithful follower. Thank you. Uh, she just has a comment. Early adopter doctors have the ability to really move the needle on making regen food more readily available. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, so I want to ask you, Dr. Farish, who do you, what age group of doctors, of MDs that have gone to school, been taught the old traditional way of, of becoming a doctor, what is the age group that is shifting away and really believing what we're talking about this evening? Well, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a 30 year practitioner and it's just been in the last few year or two that I've started to become aware that uh, mm -hmm. my job is more than just uh, putting pen to paper or sending an electronic prescription for right. a drug. And because there didn't seem to be any other possibilities and the, the, um, it's, it's hard to control all the different factors. And I wouldn't say that we claim to be doing that. In the midst of COVID, our sugar, people's sugar is gonna get better or worse on their own as we go through COVID. Well, sure. all we can say is we care enough to try to gather the information and report it. And I think what we're mainly doing is saying this can be done. Yeah. If you wanna make it better, God bless you, more power to you. But we can do this. We can, no. there's a system and that that's a, well, a credit to Aaron that we figured out the system to administer no. this program. And Go Rick, ahead. we're here at, at the one year interval now, graduation of the first class is uh, the 13th. Uh, we're very excited about and, and it, that really hits home to what the doctor's saying here is now we have a good uh, snapshot of a year in review here of right. the, the patients that went through the trial, uh, that how they have improved uh, greatly uh, with less medication, uh, as he would say, from pen to paper uh, on that, uh, you know, regular prescription. So this is an exciting time for us here is to see that measurement a year uh, in review here and graduate this first class. Yes, yeah. and um, we, we are very much aware of what's called the social determinants of health now. Mm -hmm. And food is definitely a part of it. Other factors, how many, what kind of a stable family do you have? What kind of transportation issues do you have? Uh, there's a lot of other factors, but um, the uh, content of your diet is, is a way that we can feel like we're actually doing something besides just um, riding the tsunami. Of these yeah, I got to think. I got to think you're going to want to see a little bit of exercise in there too. I mean, there's got to be yeah. some exercise with just with with the diet, some. right? I mean, it's it's like to me, it's like, and you can, Doctor Ferris, feel free to correct me, but I feel like it's eighty percent diet, twenty percent exercise. Um, it's a lot more on the food, although exercise is extremely important and is absolutely part of that trifecta. I say physical, emotional, and diet, that's all linked together. And what's great is that the food actually helps you get to these places where you're feel, feeling better mentally, you're feeling better physically so that you might actually feel like you want to exercise. So it's, it's the ripple effect from the food right. that I think is the great entry point. And I just wanted to throw that back at Dr. Farish about 
yes, I did find out, find the mechanism and implement and execute the program. But to me, um, you know, we couldn't do it without the farmers, obviously, but it is the reason why I believe this program is so successful is because we have the doctor champions to do it. And they, we have all been conditioned for good and for bad reasons to trust the man or the woman in the white coat. And so when Dr. Ferris says, this is your prescription and make sure to eat all your prescriptions. And we repeat that to our patients. They actually, I think, take it more seriously. And and we should be eating a great diet just as religiously as we would take pills, if not more in some of my Mm -hmm. opinions, but it's not necessarily an age group of doctors that are really coming into this. I think it has to do with some of their experience and them seeing over time that these mechanisms are not fixing anything, that it's putting a Band-Aid. And so it's really just finding these special individuals who get it. So I don't know if it's experience, it's their own history, their, um, their emotional connection. It's, it varies, but, uh, you know, and it's not a vast majority of doctors. And so it is through Dr. Farish's peer to peer from doctor to doctor talking to them about mm-hmm. this program is what mm-hmm. I believe makes it so successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Aaron, I want to ask you a question because part of the participation in this involves a higher level of involvement with preparing the food and you're interacting with the right. food and you're doing it as a family, probably more than just individually eating in your car, eating, standing up. And so do you think there's an element of just making a family more cohesive? to be dealing yes. with produce that's this fresh raw material right because they're cooking together they're sharing with their family which we totally expect them to do it's just yeah. what you do when you have less resources obviously and so what i believe is that food heals and it connects us and that mm-hmm. i like i don't like going out to eat necessarily because of going to have the food, obviously it's great, but it's the camaraderie and the Mm -hmm. connection and the conversations that you have around that and really learning how to be connected to the food. And that's what's happened in the local food system and the national food system is we, we don't look at produce in the grocery store and think that a farmer grew this and worked super hard and their whole family is committed to this. We have no idea where it came from. We, in fact, we don't know, even know what it looks like growing out of the ground. And so for them to be connected to this produce, it's historical, it's ancestral, it's a deep, deep connection that goes much deeper than just what people normally think about as food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Rick, go ahead, Jimmy. So one, one key thing I want to bring up here, uh, and, and you just heard this, and I know Deanna's asking this question as well. Uh, much like what you and I try to uh, get across at the conferences and get producers to adopt uh, the practices, the principles, uh, and it's peer-to-peer learning, uh, it's the same. It, it's this replicated uh, the same in the doctor world too. So there's doctors that's actually watching what Dr. Farish is doing, and it's going to be that peer-to-peer uh, you, you know, explaining how we're doing this. Uh, so once again, it's a big universe, 
but it's a small community. And, and we're going to learn from one another how to do this and how to get more doctors involved and more producers. And, and we can do this in the style that we're doing. And it's, it's back to what our grandparents used to do. It was grow their own food, cook their own food, sit down at the family table, have a conversation and enjoy great food grown locally. Uh, and, and that's the missing link in the diet uh, across the, the world globally, really, but really here in America. Uh, and so I think a lot of what we do right now, trying to get more producers into regenerative ag is just, we just need to replicate that, that style of peer to peer learning, uh, in the medical world of what we can really do, uh, there. And, and Dr. Farish touched on that a while ago, he's done got some other colleagues, uh, looking at this and trying. And once again, he's being a part of that. And so it's the same picture, just a different group of, of individuals. So it's uh, very exciting. Yeah. See, and what, again, what gets me on this and, and you've all, you've already explained this to me, but you've done this in what I would call a kind of a cold type state in the wintertime. You know, you didn't pick Florida or Southern California where you would have this food, you know, you would think available all the time. So that leads me, Aaron, to the next question. Where are you going next? What I'm assuming you've got, you're going to regionalize this, right? Oh yeah. We want it everywhere. Well, we've, we've talked to the state of Kansas, uh, public health and department of ag were all on one phone call just about a month ago. They're looking at this program. They said they usually look at Oklahoma about what not to do, but they're going to go ahead and look at us for this, for what to do. We've had programs reach out to us from Mississippi. We've had programs in North Carolina reach out wanting to kind of recreate this. And so what we offer is kind of consultation and help at whatever level they're looking at and really helping them understand what all's involved in the program, because eventually nationally with food as medicine coalitions and medically tailored meals, these pathways for billing for fruits and vegetables through a F pharmacy uh, will become more mainstream and a permanent part of our healthcare in, in infrastructure. So we, we absolutely would love, we, we love the idea of really uh, mentoring and helping other programs. And yes, we'd love to expand. The obvious would be to expand Oklahoma city once we get some clinics there. But right now we're really focused in North Tulsa and it's actually the three zip codes out of the entire state of Oklahoma where most people, three out of five of the zip codes are in North Tulsa where most people are dying from diabetes. So that's why, and it's a food desert, didn't have a grocery store till this year for 14 years. There's an eight and a half year difference between someone who lives in North Tulsa versus South Tulsa. So that's why that's been our initial focus and then spreading out from there as we can. But right now we have our hands full just with North Tulsa, but we, we absolutely will expand. So well, Aaron, do you, do you hang on just a second, doctor, please. So Aaron, do you, do you, let's see, a family walks in and they, they need your help. Are you gonna show them, are you teaching them how to prepare food? Are you giving them cooking classes? Yes, yes. I mean, if you don't mind, let's start at the beginning. So I'm sure, yeah, sure. The doctor has to be one of the first things that happens here, right? Because he's got to assess right. them and, and do that. Right. So kind of take us through the process. 
Sure. So we don't serve someone directly from the public necessarily. What we do is we've contracted with these clinics. They give us qualified referrals and they give a warm handoff. So it's not like who's these strangers calling. So we pre-qualify them. So they have to have an A1C level over an eight. They have to live in North Tulsa. They have to have some kind of transportation to pick up their food, which is every two weeks for 12 months. So every two weeks, they get a, uh, a one or two bag amount of produce every two weeks. Then twice a month, they have a cooking and a nutrition class for 12 months. So that's 24 classes plus the produce. And most of these programs do a hybrid of education and fruits and vegetables. And then every three months, they're, we're tracking their health metrics. So there's really three parts to this. We do a 15-minute enrollment process where we're tracking quality of life, doing the mental health screener. We're looking at what their current intake of fruits and vegetables are so that we can compare before and after. So we have some data we get before and data we get post-program. And then we're tracking A1C weight and blood pressure every three months. And we are also calling the participants every two weeks to monitor them, their successes, their barriers to the program. We had a very challenging group in where where this area is. I mean, we had two participants whose grandchildren were shot during this program. And to me, it's a testament of them continuing to show up. And that I think there's an element of social connection that happens that they have reported that they don't feel like this program is a handout where other programs have been. They feel like someone said, come and get some longevity. And they feel, we give them affirmations and we tell them, you can do this. Uh, You're worth it. We love you. We care about you. And and we want to make sure. Right. And then we, we look at what are the barriers? Like if they have a chance of being evicted from their home, if they're stressed, we know that impacts health metrics. We know that stress is the ultimate killer. So we are not only supporting them through this program, but we're making other referrals to other services that they can benefit from. Yeah. And I'm sorry, Dr. I I cut you off a moment ago. Do you still have your thought there? Oh, no, that was uh, Jimmy. No. I'm sorry. I I cut somebody off. I apologize. Jimmy, do you have something you want to add there? Well, Rick, the big challenge of, of growing the program is we, we want to get really good at what we're doing and we do want to grow and we're, we're trying to help others. But the big challenge from my end is going it right now is getting enough producers to understand the program and to start growing vegetables uh, if they've been growing a, a typical commodity grain, uh, you know, in the traditional uh, with a lack of a better word, system uh, that they that they've been in, and uh, so that's the challenge. Uh, there, there's no lack of patience. There's no lack of of the you know the need to grow. Uh, but we the biggest challenge has been is to get enough food uh, grown, and, and so we we do want to grow. We we want to get out, but we want to get really good at what we're doing. Uh, in the lane that we're in right now uh, to make sure as we grow this and replicate it out uh, that we don't have a collapse of the system for, for lack of food. Now that, that's, that's very bold of you to be, uh, to be slow and cautious and make sure this, is, this can be you know, done to scale. Let's, let's just say it that way. So I applaud you for that. 
Um, Deanne Lazinski again, what is being done to help more doctors be enlightened by the importance of soil health and how it ties to human health and how much resistance from practitioners do you expect to encounter for practicing medicine in this way? Who wants that one? I can tell Aaron wants that one. Well, Dr. Farish, you, you go first. What do you think the resistance will be? Do you think you'll, we won't have any problems spreading the message? What do you think? Well, I have been called a unicorn. <laughs> By that, that means that there's, there, I'm, I'm pretty rare. And That's part okay. of that is just because um, the, the way I planned out my life that I, to the point now, I, I only do what I think is important. And, but so many of my colleagues are part of, Jim mentioned systems, we've got systems too that require us to stay on certain levels of uh, productivity, how much, how many problems we, how deep we can go into a problem at a time. I'm at the point now when someone gets emotional, I don't get um, scared and try to get things back on topic. I, I dig into that because I know that's the emotions is where they're where it's feeding into their health. Right. So, uh, it, there's, those are some of the reasons that the doctors don't gravitate toward this. And if you knew how many letters and how many guidelines that are, uh, are shuffled off, shuffled out to us to have to take care of, this would start to seem like just another guideline. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you have to, I had to decide the, I'll tell the little backstory. What happened in our practice was that when COVID first hit, you remember all the milk that was being poured down the sewer drains and then the government started doing the surplus programs and we saw what was in the surplus boxes and it was not healthy produce and it was big blocks of cheese and sour cream and stuff. But we developed a team that um, was going and picking up these uh surplus boxes and delivering them to our patients in need. And so I thought, if we can do that, what else could we do with healthy food? And so that was the impetus is we're, we're going to try to do this. We, we identified the patients using our clinic's electronic health record. So how can we do this? Well, patients were struggling with diabetes. And then after that, I started getting involved with uh, the, the, uh, Food Security Council, and Aaron was already involved with that. Yeah. Yeah. You two were meant for each other. That's good. <laughs> so, Aaron, how would you like to answer uh, Deanna's uh, uh, question there? Yeah, I, I get a lot of questions similar to that. Ed, have you faced resistance, and do you expect to face resistance? I think that a lot of our work does threaten a lot of systems that were built with the intention of greed. And what I like about this program is that, and it's unfortunate that I even have to say this to human beings, but sometimes I say, you know, even if you don't care about humans, this has an incredible ROI. This has incredible healthcare cost savings. And what I like to argue is I do believe that a healthy society would actually be more productive and innovative 
and present and connected and possibly would affect the bottom line. So I think it's really something we do with an intention to also not shame people, both farmers and medical providers and say, you know, we just know a little bit more now. And it's not that that was necessarily bad or good. I like to stay away from that and really just frame it as this is something we can do to help everybody. And instead of trying to be divisive, and I think a lot of people could be that way or expecting a fight is to going into it really with your heart open and to say, hey, because everybody is a human being, whether they're in corporate America, health insurance, doctors, they all know someone that they care about and love. And we all know somebody that is sick, that has a chronic condition. And so when you talk to people on that level, it's a bipartisan issue. Everybody cares about it. And, you know, there's going to be times we face resistance. What, what we really face is people being very unaware and even people in the Department of Ag, even in people in healthcare, very distanced from what real healthy food is and the impact on health. And it's just really helping to educate doctors and other individuals that this is just a something we know more now about and we can move towards this together. Yeah, Rick, it, it's remember what I just said a little bit ago. It's, it's about the same uh, that we see in producers. Very yeah. few producers that, that I know of want to destroy their land, destroy their soil. Right. They, they did not know what they were doing. Uh, I, Deanne, I had a visit with my doctor, my local doctor here, uh, that actually Ginger hauled on the school bus years ago to school that then went off to college and became a doctor and just opened a uh, practicing in Woodward, Oklahoma, and, it's, mm -hmm. and has a clinic here in a small town, Elite. And I was telling her about the program, much like the producers that we deal with, she wants to help her patients. Uh, in the traditional system that they have been in and taught, just like our producers, has been uh, to do tests and make a chemical recommendation to, to assist the, the patient. Yeah. Uh, she knows and she understands that the food is the key, but the source of the food is the problem. And so we just have to fix the sourcing problem and get it local and fresh. And, and once again, the doctors are no different than the, the producers that you and I, Rick, talk to on a daily basis. It's bringing awareness to what we can really do to, to fix the health of our soil. Uh, and once they understand that and the light comes on, uh, just like Dr. Farish here, uh, then they start down this journey and a, a whole new light of, of what we can do really opens up. Yeah. Well, I have a book I'd like to recommend. Sure. Uh, you may know about it. Some of our producers have this book. It's called Born Again Dirt. You know, we talk about regenerative agriculture. Well, the title of this book is Born Again Dirt. And so it's along those lines. And this book takes us back to the first garden. And about how God created it, called it was called it good, and He said it was pleasing to the eye and good for nutrition, and that pretty well sums it up. So that's why I go out in the garden, is because it's pleasing to my eye 
and I get a little bit of nutrition from it. But there's it goes all the way back to uh, to the first garden in creation. So a good book to read about. That's great. Uh, that, yeah, that's great. So um, let's see. Uh, just there's just so many things. Um, so so Aaron, at this point, what? what would you like to change right now? I mean, what, what do you think needs to take as little bit of a different course than what you've already tried to lay out or what have you learned? So, you know, kind of what I brought up earlier is that we have to stop just expecting to buy local produce. There's a lot of push for that right now. And we have to recognize that it's going to be an investment and that we have we have been on this track with using the middleman and, and large shipments and large production of food for so long that we have to kind of reorganize and invest and create infrastructure so that this can, can continue on. And so even the local food bank, I believe, is starting to move towards this. And I'm really excited is to be an investor into the local food scene and, and becoming more of a local food hub and using their money to stimulate local food economy. And that's what I think has to happen and it's got to happen now. And we're going to have to take the risk of making those investments in the, into the community and whether it affects fresh RX or not, but it will, but it will affect the entire community. And so we have to take the risk, make these investments make sure that the farmers get what they need. And we have kind of been hesitant on that. Just like if we pay them a bunch of money up front, if we have crop failure, then, you know, the funders are looking us to create these health metrics and results. And so it's a risk, but it's the leap that we're going to have to take to make this investment so that the farmers can grow more. And that's what we're looking a lot deeper into right now. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I guess that would, I mean, I, I don't know how many people are, are in Tulsa. I don't know, but um, I'm assuming that right now you, you're, you're matched up pretty well. You've got enough producers to supply the food for patients that, that are in this, this uh, program that you've got. But that program, the more notoriety it gets, the more press it gets, you're, you're going to grow. So can you keep that farmer base coming with you? I think that there's no shortage of land and farmers and there's no shortage of potential to expand. It is the question and it's the allocation of plenty of money that's available to put it where it needs to go. And it has to be a long-term thinking. It cannot be a band-aid fix. If you expect to buy 50,000 pounds of local carrots, then local producer, producers will need cold storage and wash and pack stations and transportation, and they're going to need investment to make that jump. Now, once they've made that jump, they'll be in a better place to not be needing stuff so much, but it's they're at right. that bottleneck where they're small, but they have the room to grow, but they're not taking advantage of all of the land. But I think potentially with the land and the producers, yes, there's plenty of room to grow. It's putting the infrastructure they have costs for seeds and labor and other infrastructure that they're going to have to have to start producing at larger amounts to continually support the program. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes total sense. Um, I want to talk a little bit about my, my health here. Um, 
I, I'm a doctor. I'm a type 2 diabetic, been just diagnosed about two years ago. Um, my, my beautiful wife took care of me at home, gave me great meals, did, did everything like you're supposed to do. But when I'm not home, I'm on the road or whatever the case may be, obviously my too many Mountain Dews, too many, too many things with sugar and carbs. I basically ate myself into a becoming a diabetic. So when you think about that, the first thing you do is you're going to go see a specialist, which I did was an endocrinologist. I I'm sitting in the room with, with Carol, my wife, and the endocrinologist walks in the door and she looks me up and down three times and she says, you don't look anything like you're supposed to with a guy who has an A1C of 12 and your current uh, glucose count is over 300. That's mm. where I was at the day I was sitting in her office. Mm. She thought I would weigh, should weigh 400 pounds is what she said. Mm. But, but here's what I'm going to say though, in her defense, she she told me straight up she said if you pay attention to what i'm telling you you change your diet and you exercise i will have you off insulin in 30 days and she did she did oh and then it became my my goal to get off metformin and to be on nothing and that's where i'm at i'm on nothing right now wow yay yeah that but this is happy ending see it can be done this is hard though, guys, because I love milkshakes. I love fries. <laughs> All that food that tastes good is not good for you is basically what it boils down to. But yes, this can be done. But again, you can't do this by yourself. It's just like we talk about this farming. You need community. Jimmy's talked about it several times already tonight. You need that camaraderie. You need the, the loyalty, the community, the transparency, all of these things. So first trip was to endocrinologist. Second trip was to uh, a, a, what's it called? A, a nutritionist. Yeah. The nutritionist taught me and Carol how to eat better food and how to prepare that food more properly. So you know you sit down and again here it is guys it's data you've got to take data and track what you've been doing and when you start to look at what your diet was and you think to myself oh my gosh that's what i've been i mean my carb intake was i don't remember 200 200 grams a day or some some outrageous number and and it goes back again to the same thing that jimmy and i talk about all the time which is balance You've got to head towards some kind of balance. So, Aaron, here's my question then. Okay, you, you, you've got these, 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 these programs in place. You're teaching people how to feel better about themselves, teaching them how to cook their own food. Are you also teaching them how to score the food and the carbs that they're taking in and what is that net number at the end of the day? Yeah, so we talk a lot about looking at recipes and also looking at the ingredients on the back of food products. And so we've tried to help them know how to shop. There's a lot of people that just don't know. They think it's fruit juice, right? And then it's loaded with tons of extra sugar and there's all these hidden things. And so we try to empower them to know how to really be able to look at something and know if it's healthy, no matter where and where they are, 
and then to be able to make some better choices depending on where they are and what they have access to and referring them to other sources of this local food and ways to pay for it. Because the other challenge is, okay, we give them this great regenerative food and then they don't have access to it and they can't maintain. And of course our food tastes so much better than the food that's in the grocery stores. Um, So we've really helped connect them with the farmer's market, with our mobile grocery stores. They let them buy SNAP with SNAP dollars, their food stamps, and also a double up program where it doubles their money if they buy produce. And when grocery stores adopt the double up program, They're required to have a certain percentage of local food and to increase that percentage of local food that they're they're producing or they're they're, um, supplying uh, every single year. So those are the really important pieces to the program as well. I just had a thought. Okay, my wife, Carol, is is so she started a food co-op in our local local community. And it's not a giveaway. You don't walk in and just get whatever you want. It's not like that. You have to earn to get to be able to shop in there for free. But you then shop. They have teaching classes. They have uh, economic classes where they help them balance their budget, how to how to do a checkbook, right. all this stuff. It's to That's help awesome. build inner inner confidence, inner quality within yourself. Sure. Well, I just had a thought. Why? I don't know how far away your producers are from your folks on this on this product or on this system, but maybe as a re- as a return for food, they could go help that farmer uh, for a couple hours, uh, help them because the farmer probably needs all the help he can get. They go to that farm and work on the farm for credit to come back and get get your luscious, uh, healthy food. Yeah, that's a great idea. And we want people to be more connected with the farms. And we've looked at doing more like farm visits and connecting them more because it's still kind of separate. Like the farmers bring it to the cold storage and then we distribute it to the participants separate. And so what's great is that graduation, the participants will get to meet the farmers, but we'd like that to be a more reciprocal relationship. And we do believe if we connect them to the farms that they're going to understand and be more connected to the food and more likely to continue to eat it. And that's a great idea that they could exchange uh, time instead of money and have access to that food. So that's, that's an awesome idea. Yeah. Think about that. Uh, Cause I, I know the farmer probably could use the help. Cause if he's like yeah. anybody else, we're, we're all short of help. Yeah, so, absolutely. Great so, idea. Uh, I want to go back to Dr. Farish real quick, doctor. Um, uh, I don't want to age you here, but how much longer, I mean, I, I, I get a sense, I can see a gleam in your eye. You're very refreshed. You're re-energized here. What do you think? Um, you're, you don't have retirement on, on the horizon, I'm assuming now. You, you feel pretty good. No, I'm, I'm moving more into a consultant role where I just go in and solve problems and put out fires. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the days that I work because the patient population that we have requires a lot of extra attention. <laughs> and so for the sake of our staff, we can do that. And I'm hoping actually to move into almost like a chaplaincy role eventually with oh, that, really? if they'll let me do that. I wanted to mention a couple of other resources to you, Rick. Um, one of them is, uh, do, do you know about Wholesome Wave organization? No. no. Wholesome Wave, all one word. And they've uh, developed uh, and associated themselves with an app called Tangelo, T-A-N-G-E-L-O. And it's what's called an incentive wallet. 
And what that uh, does is when some, it um, makes a digital record so that when you go and do something like you're talking about where you do a service thing or attend a class, um, it gives you a credit that you can then spend at the uh, idea. provider for the provider. There's some uh, automatic deposits, but then you can increase that th through certain activities that are tracked on your phone. So it's something you might look into. The other yeah. thing for you, just as as uh, a patient, has has anybody talked to you about the Freestyle Libre? Yes. Disc? Yeah. Um, yeah, on the back of your arm. Yeah, right. It's yeah, I, I, I don't carry one of those anymore because okay. Um, I'll tell you why, and maybe this is foolish of me, but when I was had it on and I was repeatedly looking at it and doing the checking and all that, <laughs> my numbers were very well in reason. So I just quite honestly took it off. But here's what I've done, Doc. I've got the old finger prick thing. And I check that once a week and I see where my numbers are. And, and the last time I checked, I think I was at 102 uh, on a fast. So that might be a little bit high, but I've got no metformin and no insulin. So I feel like I'm doing pretty good. Well, you've really accomplished something. I just think of diabetes. It's like breathing. You shouldn't have to think about it. Yeah. But when you do, and you have to put it right up here in the front of your brain and play by the rules. There's no place in your brain <laughs> to do that. No, you, you have to be thinking about it all the time. And our brains don't have a place to be thinking about how's your blood sugar right now. Okay. How's it right now? How's it right now? Yeah. It's just a constant thought that you, yeah. you can't, uh, don't have a place for that. And so well, I want to, I want to ask you a, a question, doc. Um, you know, it's hard. It's hard to stay on the diet. It's hard to do everything you're supposed to do to keep that blood sugar down. So how harmful is it to have a bowl of ice cream once a month and, and my sugar is going to spike and it's going to take off to 220 and then over it, it'll take two hours for it to peak out and start to roll back over. How hard is that on my body? See, that's what the A1C checks is. It's going to remember that for three months. And that, that'll indicate a, a lack of control. Right. But is that acute? I mean, I would, I would call that like an acute situation, you know, a once in a time situation. How hard is that on my, my blood vessels for my eyes? Uh, all these things. How hard is that on my body? Uh, well, I'm going to just speak from my basic understanding and not from experimental data, but yeah. that your sugar and especially the eyes are harmed by swings in your blood sugar. It's when it goes from one level to another level and then back again, it's jerking you around. That's what's hard mm -hmm. on your body. So those, those splurges I want to do are not good then. That's what you're telling me. Has he rubbed his eye? <laughs> yeah. No, no, I did. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. It's the swing. It's the swings that are impacting it, and I've heard that before. It's, and you you want to say that you know a little bit here and there is okay, but really it's a lifestyle that you're choosing, 
And actually yeah. your taste buds will change and, and certain fruits and vegetables are going to taste a lot better than right. when you're yes. drugged up on a lot of sugar and you're also getting really nutrient deficient kale or, or, or iceberg lettuce. Like it's not going to taste good. The vegetables that are on burgers, tomatoes, like and much the yeah. mushrooms that we normally have access to, like people don't like it's because they've never really had a real one. Yeah. But uh, you got yeah. these, you got these taste receptors and you want to keep them. You don't want to, um, overstimulate them overstimulate them because then they right. just down regulate themselves yeah down regulation means that they're not as, as sensitive to other tastes as well yeah yeah i can see i see the correlations between this and and the soil out the door here are just <laughs> unbelievable it's just, as above so below it, wow. yeah it's unbelievable the correlation it is we're all um, connected yeah yeah and we have to have um, we have to have good food to eat. There's just no way around it. You know, right. a, a lot of times, you know, you look at, at, at the human health aspect of it. I look at it in two different ways. You know, you've got the, you've got the nutrient density aspect of it, but, and, and then we're always, we're always thrown the question, how are we going to feed the world in 2050? Well, maybe let's start now by giving the, the world a better uh, nutrient dense diet. You know, right. And then uh, correct me if I'm wrong somewhere through here, but I believe 30 percent of the food that's, uh, you know, put together, prepared in a day's time is, is thrown away in waste. Right. Uh, it's not, not a question of quantity. It's it's quality. Yeah. And access. And, and maybe the maybe the American diet doesn't need to have your plate filled to the brim. No, right. Meal. Right. And that's the piece that I've really put together in talking to a lot of our colleagues is that when your body and we are mammals, we're animals, and they have the same thing that when your body is getting the nutrients it needs, you become satiated and something in your brain turns on that says I'm full. Well, when you're never getting the nutrients that you need, you just keep eating and eating and eating and eating because your body is still wanting that nutrients. And when they never get it, that's what creates, that's what happens when you overeat and gain weight and store all that fat and those toxins in your body. That's really weighing on all the processes. I always say your body is a self-building house. If it gets what it needs, it heals itself. Yeah, that's exactly right. You are exactly right. So Aaron, same with before, the soil, right? Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. So before I forget here, Aaron, tell us, please, how can, how can we find you folks? What, What's the web address? Uh, sure. And let's get it. Let's get it in the chat box here. Sure, um, I'm happy to share it. Uh, FreshRxOK.org. Perfect. Is our website and our social media, both Facebook and Instagram, is the handle is FreshRxOK as well. And you can always find me on LinkedIn under Aaron Martin and, um, and, and you can find Jimmy on Twitter under long live the soil mm -hmm. and, um, Dr. Farish can always be contacted through me. He's also on LinkedIn as well. Yes. Okay, and if, you, uh, if there's a doctor that you want us to talk to, then send them our way. Yeah. Yeah. That would be awesome. I'll tell you, you know, I, I know what I know what the nickname is for this great state of Oklahoma. 
and you guys are are, are living up to the nick you're sooners right so yeah you, you're ahead <laughs> of everybody else exactly yeah at least in something <laughs> yeah you're ahead of everybody else here so this is absolutely fascinating um Aaron, I'm going to ask each one of you, we're going to close this out. What what have we not covered that you'd like? Just give us your closing remarks, Aaron. What would you like to uh, expand on or or fill in a blank that I didn't I didn't ask the right question on? I think right now is the time. And there is a way that every single individual can get involved whether that's by sourcing local food for yourself through a farmer's market or through a local CSA, which is a subscription to your local farm. It's voting with your dollars that makes sense and also having relationship with legislators who absolutely do listen. There's a lot of mis misunderstanding about that. And it's valuable to be talking about this that no matter what level you're on, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a farmer, whether you're just a general consumer, a parent, there is all sorts of ways that you can make sure that you're moving towards just a healthier diet. Just including more fruits and vegetables is pretty simple. This is why we have certain types of vision so we can see the colors of these foods because it's mm -hmm. what we need to have. Mm -hmm. And it's very important that people know that it's available and it, you can create the infrastructure, but you do that by voting with your dollars and by really finding ways to get involved in the conversation or just talking about it with friends and family, using meals, no matter if you're having a party or an event or a conference to give an example of what it's like to provide that food. It's a, it's a teaching tool and we're gonna set an example the best thing I tell people is I get a lot of people saying, well, my husband needs help with this and I wish I could force him to eat healthy or yeah. my cousin is, and I always say it's easier to help other people. It is yourself that the gold really lies and that you can really only help yourself and you have to be the example. So it's making personal decisions every single second of every single day to be more healthy and you will find benefits in it in ways that you never imagined. And so it's each of us that has responsibility for ourselves. And as we walk the walk and talk the talk, but walk the walk with our talk, that that's what has the biggest impact. So I just encourage you, whether it's just including more fruits and vegetables on one day, if that's a big step for you, yeah. do it in ways that are sustainable and make better choices as as best you can and and love yourself through the process of even failing yeah that's great i i'll I tell you what there's something i, I want to expand on a little bit before i get the other two the other two gentlemen you said this two or three times you've mentioned les legislature i think this is absolutely awesome wouldn't it be great that one day there's an actual uh bill in place that that states you have to have certain food you know, at, at a at a nursing home or yes, or, or maybe a high school or a grade school. Yes, or a re hospital where you need it a lot. You yeah, know? revamp the whole sit the whole sit. I mean, right. when you right. look at it's that food, it's loaded, it's loaded with salt, salt and carbs. Right, right, right. And food they serve in hospitals increases all the cancer markers. I mean, it's just yeah. like, but it and, really starts with the primary care physicians who see these patients day in and day out, and that that's. 
they can't only get good food in the hospital. They've got to have it day to day, but you're exactly right. That's the ultimate goal is that the sourcing changes and it's infiltrated into every yeah. system that we have. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. See the, the parallels between what Jim and I are trying to do with, you know, his livestock farm, cash grain farm, and what we're trying to, it's exactly the same, Aaron. It's right. all the same. Yeah. And that's why we're building these bridges because we can do it together, but we can't do it in silos. Yeah. Well, th thank you so much. I'll be back to you in just a moment. Dr. Farish, what any any closing comments, anything we've missed that you'd like to add? Well, um, I sense a great passion here, so I may be preaching to the choir on this, but um, just to anybody who needs to hear this, just remember why you started, why you went into whatever it is you're doing and, and, and um, why, why that, what, what your passion was in that. And um, it may be that um, just be, being in it for a while, uh, we had a nurse, uh, we had a doctor that, that experienced burnout. And um, I think the reason was, and often is with us is that we get, molded by the system and squeezed into being a certain type of a uh, having a certain type of a career that yeah. is, it's got all the joy squeezed out of it. And we do that because when there's just a little bit more money I could squeeze out of this job. And, uh, and looking back, it's not going to be about the money. It's going to be about whether you experience the joy of following your passion. So I would just say, uh, make sure that whatever it is you're choosing to do, uh, don't let the the system um, squeeze that out of you. Yeah, that's great Amen. advice. Go, Aaron, go. Did you, did you have something, something you want to say? Oh, Aaron? I just said Amen. Agreed. Oh, yeah. Agreed. People think, and our society has conditioned us to think that more and more and more is better, and we have overcomplicated the simplistic joy of being a human being not a human doing and we have worked ourselves to death and what we do is our, we work ourselves to death and then we die and that's it and what did we do what did we leave behind and did we even yeah. enjoy it yeah mm -hmm. well and you know the, the, the world has changed so much in the last two two three years the i mean the covid and now the in, invasion of uh Ukraine. I mean, the, the whole world is just upside down. So um, it's hard to, to, to just keep trudging forward sometimes. So it's, it's very refreshing. And thank you. So now, Jimmy, to you, what I, I know you, 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 I can see the gleam in your eye too, Jimmy, you're very excited about this. Uh, where do you see this going? Well, as a producer, for the first time in my life, uh, I see the end game of our food. Uh, I've raised a lot of, of crops and animals uh, in my 40 some years uh, as a producer. This program uh, brings that that really into perspective that, that what we can grow, if you're a producer out there and you care about your soil and your land and your legacy, uh, Sometimes legacy is not about how much land we have or animals or dollars. Uh, our legacy should be 
for the next generations to live and thrive on. And if you look at our society over the last 150 years, and Aaron and I talk about this a lot in our presentations, how we degraded the soil down, we yeah. degrade our health down as well. So yeah. this is our opportunity to rise uh, and be leaders. And, and a true leader is not the smartest man at the table. He surrounds himself with great leaders as a team. And that's yeah. what we've got to do, Rick. And that's what we're all trying to do is build a team that, that gets the message out. We can do this. It's not that hard. It can be profitable as a producer, but it can be very fulfilling uh, in your legacy that you help people have a better life, a yeah. better health, a more joyable uh, career as producers uh, as well. Because the, once again, we're all alike. We have producers that are on burnout, just like Dr. Ferris talked about a, a colleague yeah. that are trying, they're, they're so focused on the rat race that are getting burned out because it's more, it's more, it's more. It's not, it's not. And what we can do with this program is endless. And we just got to slowly, steadily build this and start building that team and expand that out in the other states. One, one final thought here. You talk, we talked about legislature. Senator Garvin, uh, that's helping us, a, a wonderful lady, a wonderful lady, family owns uh, adult care facilities in different stages. They see this and they, they've been trying to do this themselves uh, as a perfect example of how to help the next generations, uh, young and old with what, what they eat. So exactly what Aaron said, there are legislatures, legislators that listen and understand you just right. got to knock on the right doors and, and thrive on them. And uh, it's wonderful when someone listens and we can work as a team. And, and oh. you know, long live the soil, our lives depend on it. That's right. That's right. That's good. He's ab absolutely correct. Uh, Deanna, excellent closing here. When we start gauging our success as firms on the health of soil, the health of plants, the health of people and animals rather than yield, we will really have a legacy we can be proud of. Health is the metric of success on our farm. Couldn't have said it any better, Deanna. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great. Well, everybody, this has been awesome. Uh, Aaron, I, I mean, you've got a tiger by the tail here, in my opinion. <laughs> um, and I think you're up for the challenge. I know you are. But oh, yeah. You've got a tremendous system here started. I, I don't. I think you're always wanting to to shape it and mold it and make it better. But my yeah. gosh, what a, what a start! So you should be very proud. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rick, and and thank you for all you've done and to be willing to have these conversations and to share about your personal journey. Yeah. And we yeah. all we all need it, and we're all humans, and we all we want to see this happen. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, and. Uh, we're going to end it here. And Dr. Farish, Jimmy, Aaron, thank you so much for being here. God bless and, and good luck with in the future. Thank you. Thank you for Thanks the so much. Aaron, can you stand by for a phone call? Sure. Thank you for this opportunity.